Hello and welcome to Mind Rolling Podcast. I'm David Silver here with my esteemed colleague, Raghu Marcus. Hi, David. Really happy to be back. Yes, right? here we are. Yeah. And just in case you didn't know it, Raghu is the, uh, the presiding head of Love Serve Remember Foundation, which is uh, one of the most useful websites and institutions on the planet. Wow. And if you want to have a real, a real learning experience and a lot of fun, go to ramdas.org and you'll see some amazing teachers and, and great graphics. And it's just a wonderful experience, actually. And I go to it still. I'm not jaded. So try it out, ramdas.org. Presiding head. Uh, that's an interesting. <laughs> Isn't that not right? No, it's a, that's a kind of British term, I would say, presiding head. It's just director of the foundation. That's all. Yeah, but there's no lowly but director. The only people above you are are are, are Siddhas and, <laughs> and God Almighty. Well, Ramdas. <laughs> and Ramdas, I forgot him. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, anyway, we're back. So. We're back. Yeah, here we are. Um, and oh, I will say, in, in since you brought up uh, Ramdas.org and and the foundation, I will say that. Um, I, I, we've mentioned it before, and I do want everybody uh, to have the opportunity to at least know about this new book that we're putting out that's coming out literally uh, on November 10th, which is just uh, a week and a half or so. Love everyone. It's all of our stories following Ramdas back to India. Not all of us followed Ramdas literally back to India, but heard about Neem Karoli Baba through Be Here Now. Uh, some people, uh, there was a few people who actually uh, came through it without going through Ramdas. But you know, Dave, I don't know if I ever, t did I ever tell you this story that one day, uh, this is just coming to me at this point, so I'll share it. One day, Ramdas, we went down to Kenji, where Maharaji was, the temple, and uh, we would go down there every day and they'd feed us and everything. And uh, so, we were getting fed that day. This is a famous story, and many of you may know this story, but it's really applicable uh, regarding Ramdas um, and our getting to India and this whole book and how it came about, which in you know, all of our stories. Ramdas came down late because he walked from Nainital to Kenshi. Everybody was already there. We were eating. Someone went to hand him a plate of food. He was quite pissed at the Westerners by that time. I mean, we were always, I don't know, what, sliming around him to try and get him to <laughs> help us out in one way or another. He didn't want to be followed around. He just wanted to do his thing and be with Maharaji. He tossed that plate of food right in someone's face. Okay? And in India, that is, it's a gigantic no-no. So this whole bruha ensued. And Maharaji called us up and said, okay, what's, what's wrong with him? <laughs> and uh, I remember Ramesh said, well, he's very unhappy because we are rather undharmic people, <laughs> to say the least. We were so self-involved 20-odd-year-olds. And, uh, and that's when Maharaji said, you know, you don't know who he is. None of you would have gotten here to me without him. He out now. I mean, he never said such kind of uh, pragmatic final statements about anything. It was always queries or stuff that was out of context, and you'd get it later. But this was right down the pike. You wouldn't have gotten here without him. 
So when I say we did follow Ramdas, most of us heard about Maharaji through Ramdas. So this is, it's a wonderful book. David's read uh, some of it or all of it. Yeah. And uh, it, uh, because it's all Westerners, whereas Miracle of Love, which Ramdas put out in the 70s, which was a, a book of stories around uh, people's experiences with Maharaji, they were mostly uh, Indians, although Ramdas's story was in there. And, and there were some Westerner stories, but this is exclusively Westerners. And it, so you can really relate with the kind of stuff that we were going through, doubt, cynicism. I mean, that got evaporated very quickly because he let us know he knew absolutely everything about us, past, present, and future. So you couldn't hold on to that for too long. But all of the kinds of things that, that we as Westerners go through, which we are going through now, I see people, people pick up, be here now, and, and now be here now now and they get uh connected and they write about some of their the foibles and they listen to ramdas's talks and how he's honest about it he just wrote this letter uh, completely honest about what he just went through which is a stay in the hospital it was a very difficult uh, bunch of suffering he went through so it's uh, it's a very relatable book and i highly suggest uh, just go to ramdas.org you can just pre-order it now on amazon uh, through uh, through the link that you'll get to right off the homepage. So, enough of that commercial. What yeah, about mind wanna, rolling? I have to add one thing here, yeah. which is really either something funny or something not funny. Time Out, the magazine, the cover of Time Out this week is in huge letters, Be Here Now. Really? Yes. And then something about, entertainment all over New York all the time, restaurant, <laughs> you know. And it, it, it blew me away in a way because, you know, first of all, he should sue them. But, <laughs> but you know, because I think he invented the phrase. I, I really, nobody used it before that. Yeah. You know, but he's not going to do that. But so. it is interesting how these things get into the vernacular, you know. Yeah, it very much is. In fact, there are people out there that maybe not know, do not know Ramdas. Uh, the person, but no, be here now. It's pretty interesting, and maybe have even had a look at the book in college or something. So, uh, okay, I have another thing to talk about uh, for you guys out there helping support uh, Mind Rolling and MindPod Network uh, through Amazon and our link, because we always love to uh, suggest different things. And this one's a big, huge wow. Do you remember okay. the book Shantaram? Okay, all of you yep. out there, did you read this book, Shantaram? It's a story of a guy in Mumbai, and it's like 700 pages or something. It's a huge book. It's so great. You can take it with you and go around the world a couple of times on an airplane and still not have read it. Uh, it's about he. It, it's kind of based on a true story of a guy who was into drug running and so on. Uh, you know, a young white guy from Australia, actually. And then he got involved with the mafia in, in Mumbai uh, in a very deep way at the same time he was helping um pe people who lived in slum remember slum dog millionaire the, so that kind of a situation and he was helping people so he was this very dualistic kind of complex character fabulous book because it really gave you the sense of what mumbai is like uh, in literally right down in the streets with the people of all sorts of different stratas of society so the sequel's out everybody and it's called The Mountain Shadow, 
I'm, I'm just ordering it myself. I just found this out. Fortunately, I read the New York Times uh, book review section, and it was a huge full-page ad, Dave. Really? Yeah. Wow. With the, and it's got this beautiful yantra on the cover. It's really uh, fantastic. Mm. Here, I'll show it to you because you're, you're, you're making a video of this, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. So here. Wow, how beautiful. What a beautiful cover. We've seen that yantra before, but... It, it's nice to have it on the cover. Every time you pick up the book, you see this yeah, so, thing. Uh, so that's my big tip. And um, and there's a book for you guys that are into music out there, because we do a lot of music books, because I guess David and I are, you know, this is something close to our heart. Uh, and we were in the music business, and we still follow a little bit. Dave, there's this new book called The Song Machine, Inside the Hit Factory by John Seabrook. Uh, which is available, and there's a beautiful review by Touré. You know Touré? Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. he was, he was yeah. a VJ and then a yeah. political, political commentator, and a yeah. good one. Yeah, actually. he's really good. Fabulous article about the fall of the music business. I mean, it's staggering when you realize what's going on now. It's, it's scary, actually. This is a scary article for those of you... Uh, that are involved still in the music business, something worthwhile reading uh, this book, The Song Machine. So those are my two uh, Amazon... I worked, I worked there at the Head Factory. I did a record there. I produced yeah. a record, really? actually. The Moody Blues. Um, there, We did a, a version of their song, Timothy Leary's Dead. Oh, yeah. And just before Timothy died, we did, they redid it as Timothy Leary Lives. And Tim was on the phone listening to the mixes while we were doing it. Yeah. <laughs> and the Moody's are a, a terrific bunch of, of men from Birmingham in England. And um, I worked at the Hip Factory. It's so amazing a place where you walked in and like 9,000 gold records on the wall from Stevie Wonder mm. to John Lennon. Mm. And then a, a big picture of John Lennon at the, uh, at the um, controls with Jimmy Iovine, I think. And it's an amazing place. And of course, it's gone. Yeah, and now it's a, a, a sort of an apartment building with gold records on the wall or something. <laughs> but you know, uh, yeah, great days. But what do you got? You got some? Oh yeah, I got some recommendations. Um, I wanted to recommend something. I don't think it's out yet. But you can pre-order it on Amazon. It's called "The Best of the Cutting Edge," a CD by Bob Dylan. Uh, you may have heard of. And um, what it is is um, stuff from his peak period, really, sixty-eight, sixty-nine. And this is the, the, I think it's a double CD. It's about 16 bucks. There are all kinds of versions. There's one that's, I think, a six CD set, which is about 60 bucks, uh, MP3, and, you know, over $100 for, you know, like five versions of Stuck Inside Outside of Mobile with Memphis Blues again. You know, the, all those takes. Mm. Uh, and for, if you don't like Bob Dylan, well, then just forget about it. But if you do, um, it's, I haven't heard it, but I've heard all those songs like we all have, um, Leopard Skin, Pillbox, all those wonderful songs. And now we're, we're going to be hearing many versions of them on this. So it's called Best of the Cutting Edge. That's the least expensive one and maybe the one for most people. Well, there's two Bob Dylans, Dave. There's the Bob Dylan now or in the last 10 yeah. years. And then there's early Bob Dylan. Those are, to me, two different, but then there's a middle Bob Dylan with yeah. the, the Vegas yeah. deal is really obnoxious. Um, what was so, that? I'm aware of that. Yeah. Well, I once well, went to Madison Square Garden to a Bob Dylan cance, uh, cance, great. concert. Uh, and it was in the 80s. Uh, and he was doing this uh, Elvis routine. He had one of those Elvis big 
belts, you know, oh, yeah. with the big buckle. You remember that? Yes, I do. And he did every song he did. He played. It was like Bizarro Superman. It was completely, <laughs> absolutely just trashing each song. I yeah. actually left. Okay, halfway through, I couldn't handle it. That was it the worst destroyed period. my whole youth. And that was the worst period. Yeah. But now I liked his last ten albums. I love Love and Theft and Modern Times and all those albums. They're fantastic. But this is really the peak of the whole thing. Anyway, that's going to be available soon, and or it is available. It's close. Mm. Highly recommend it. I got three other things. Uh, I want people to try and read the discourses of Meher Baba. That's so weird. I, read... I was just looking at that today and thinking sure. about it. Wow. wow. Like wow. minds. Well, I was looking at it because I found a piece that I want to put into Daily Wisdom on the um, MindPod Network um, website. And I was thinking about, you know, he was just so good a writer, speaker. And um, this one is, is a, a fairly readable book. It's not, you know, like 2,000 pages. It's a normal book. Not that expensive. Anyway, Meher Baba Discourses. Try that out. And then one of the, um, my favorite film, without exception, for the last many years has been Vim Vender's Wings of Desire. And if you haven't seen it, you should. That's my, you know, pompous statement. Uh, you can probably get it without, but it, it's nice to, I own it because um, the quality of a DVD is, is much better. And it's, it's just a, an indescribably great film about two angels who kind of are m missing the planet and in Berlin, in Germany. And they, they decide to come back to Earth just to see what it's like. And there's some great people in the film, Peter Falk in it and Lou Reed and all kinds of amazing people. But the film itself is so funny and delightful and thoughtful. You won't regret it. it I think it's about 20 bucks or something, but um, I highly recommend it. And I'll, uh, I'll substantiate David's acumen when it comes to films because he turns me on to films every week or two. I get a new film from him, and they are all absolutely terrific. The last one was that uh, Tibetan film about the Western photographer. What was the name of that uh, film? Um, it was called The Monk and the Camera? Yeah, Monk and the Camera. Fantastic film, everybody. So, yeah, yeah David. David's going to start a, a little corner. Uh, David's doing, in the midst of everybody, here's some news. David's doing a, a video uh, blog that he's starting, uh, and they'll have all sorts of information. And one of the things I'm saying, hey, you've got to tell people about all these different movies that you know about and curate, because that's what we need, good, solid curation of everything, because there's so much flack coming at us information-wise yeah. on a day-to-day -day basis, and you never can know what's, what's good and what's not. So thank you. This is good. Go to Amazon and get that link all set up in your uh, at the top of your menu there, so you can always just go to it without trying to find it on mindpodnetwork.com. Okay, and that helps. And also, uh, everybody. I mean, we keep saying this. This has been happening since I came back from India. The last few podcasts that we are just seeing uh, fantastic support from people doing recurring donations. Uh, that is uh, one of the most super ways that we can get support for the whole network to be able to, we're really, really working on this, on the, the uh, course, the Life and Balance uh, 
audio retreat, and it's, it's going to also be a self-curated uh, course for people through our app, the Heart Mind app that's coming out in January. So this is really helping us accomplish these goals uh, and, and being able to share all of this with, with everybody, including people who may not have the funds. Uh, so it's kind of really important. And, and it's also important to uh, support all of the the teachers that are involved in MindPod Network. So thank you for what you're doing. Okay, we're going to move right into it, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, should we start with... Uh, I would say well, let's... Okay, go ahead. I was going to say the Rilke thing you found has a lot of a lot of wisdom and, and some, you know, some stuff that we, we, okay. we like to talk about. Well, so, then shoot. Well, Roger sent me this... Why don't you just say, um, tell us who Rilke is? Well, Rilke was a, a poet and, and a, a humanist and a mystic. He lived um, between, he, he was born in 1875, he died in 1926. He was Austrian, and um, he was known for his poetry and for his, and actually it said on Wikipedia, I don't know how real this is, but it said that he's one of the great, you know, sort of grandfathers of the New Age movement, which I guess I understand yeah. that a lot of, a lot, well, a lot of people were quoting Rilke and, and Rumi and Hafiz and, in, the, in the 70s and 80s, little quotes, and Rilke was sort of in there. I think it's sort of an exaggeration to say he was one of the grandfathers, but it does say that on Wikipedia, and it shows that the person who wrote it has some sense of continuity. But he, you know, what, what Roger sent me was a piece, really, and it's from uh, his most famous work, which is Letters to a Young Poet. Uh, when he had a correspondence with a military guy, or a guy who was going into the military, or was going to be a poet. He didn't know which one. And, um, you know, the, the, to me, the essence of the piece you sent, Raghu, is a statement. Um, for one human being to love another, that is pro perhaps mm. the most difficult of all our tasks. Let me read that again, because I've messed it up. For one human being to love another, that is perhaps the most difficult of all our tasks. On face value, you look at that and you go, no, it's not. It's much more difficult to, you know, I don't know, dig ditches or to confront my Latin professor, whatever, I'm, well, I'm showing my age, uh, you know, or to, or to, to deal with, um, you know, horrible bills from, from companies and, and from Macy's that you owe and it's difficult. How do I pay this? I'm not earning any money. All that stuff is difficult. But what Rilke is saying is that the word love uh, is, is easy to say but not so easy to enact and that it is one of the most difficult and daring things and that he goes on to say that the young don't know how to do this. Now, for those of you who are young who are listening, and we hope there are some of you are, uh, that might seem very ageist in a reverse way. You know, like, well, what do they know about it, the young people? And I think what he's suggesting is that love is not about possession, and it's not about lust, and it's not about an immediate knowledge or intuition of someone else. Oh, I know you're in it for life. We're going to be together forever. Uh, this rarely works out. It does sometimes, and when it does, it's wonderful, it's great. But the, the, the mechanics of how to maintain love and what even it is to love another person, I think he's right. It's enormously difficult and challenging and takes a long time to really kind of grasp what it entails. 
what it entails, uh, selflessness and empathy, compassion, and also maintaining a relationship or a connection in times of difficulty, uh, when things aren't going right, you know. And um, sometimes it's impossible to maintain that, but sometimes it's also possible to do it in the context of a larger and deeper love. And, um, you know, so Rilke was really, and you know, if you don't agree with this, say so, but, Rilke, but you know, it says learning time is always a long secluded time. And so loving for a long while ahead and far into life is solitude intensified and deepened loneliness for him who loves. That seems so paradoxical, doesn't it? That yeah. you're, it's solitary and yet that's right. So, so why is he saying it's loneliness, not aloneness, but loneliness? I, I really believe that in even sages of ancient times, right? Why do they spend so much time alone in caves or in in places where there are very few people and in conditions that are very difficult? I think it's it's this has to be developed, and it takes a certain courage to be able to do that. I mean, I again, I hark back to this experience I had. Now it's it's almost a month ago, three, four weeks ago in India with this being that I met, this jungle Baba. And he spends a tremendous amount of time uh, alone in caves. And I, I think in this particular case, it, I think it has more to do uh, with, I think it has less to do rather with his own developmental, with developing as a human being into a place of unity. I think he, in my small light, I think he already is a unified being. And, uh, but many of, uh, many of these people who become what I would call a unified being do spend this lone time, this aloneness time. And, and certainly the Buddhists emphasize this tremendously. And so this makes a lot of sense to me that this secluded time, uh, and if you take it on a more mundane relative level, just unless we are integrated to some degree within ourselves, we really don't stand a chance of being able to love somebody in a way that's uh, complete and not, uh, you know, not latched on, not expecting, not a deal, not a, a you know, not a business deal. Uh, I think it takes that kind of uh, generating that kind of. Uh, spaciousness within oneself before you can really do this and so i i believe what he's saying here is absolutely correct and and yeah so you're saying i mean we do have a lot of uh, listeners that are millennials uh, we know that and we don't um want to pontificate uh, at all on any level to anybody but what we after all of these years uh do I wish I would have spent a little bit more time on creating that kind of spaciousness inside myself and, and, and just less self-interest so that I could actually love somebody in a more uh, complete and less needy way? Just that kind of, just start there. Needy. I mean, we are so needy and we are so 
established in in our relationships as some kind of a deal because if you don't give me what I want then I don't want to play it's that kind of really narrow narrow uh, view so yeah I th- I, th- I think it's 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 great advice and it's it's advice that you and I it's not like we're not oh yeah well we've been there done that in terms of we are we are working on that day to day ourselves to create the kind of spaciousness where we can be of real uh, substantial uh, we can communicate substantial with substantially with everybody uh, mm-hmm. in a way that is uh, enhances uh, people's ability to get that own their their own spaciousness inside so that they can also. Uh, return that uh, the love that that's given in a way that's not needy and so on. So I I totally think this is right on, and I don't know Rilke that well. And I'm I want to get this book myself actually. Well, I think Rilke said at one point, um, I can't quote it exactly, but he said the things that really matter are are unsayable. So we do our best as poets. To this is in the letters to the young poet, that you know, to communicate via imagery, metaphor, analogy, beauty, um, paradox, all those things that poets use, sort of instinctively, they they help us to understand something which is rather difficult to articulate. It's not just a story or a, a, a pontificating statement, but is actually a, a, a you know kind of a leading. A leading edge to something that is maybe unsayable but graspable on an inner level. So Rilke was always, you know, I can't really explain this in words, but I can push you towards the feeling, you know. And so he was talking to a young man, but the reason I think we love him is because of this poetry, you know, and most poetry is something about this. Not all of it, but, you know, it, I find poetry, I don't read poetry all the time, but. You know, when I read poetry, the reason I would read it is because it's saying something that I can't articulate myself and it suddenly sort of stimulates it, you know. Uh, I did want to quote from His Holiness the Dalai Lama on a related subject, which is this very harsh quote, actually, uh, which will take a minute if you don't mind, Raghu. Mm. And it's sort of related. Um, It's not about uh, bhakti love uh, at all. It's 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 or even classic Buddhist love. It's about a, it's it's an, an observation he's made, which I think has deep wisdom. He says, "Sexual desire, by definition, wants something. The satisfaction of desire by the possession of the other. To a large extent, this is a mental projection, provoked by a certain emotion. We imagine the other in our possession." At the moment of desire, everything seems agreeable and desirable. One sees no obstacle to it, no reason for restraint. The object desired seems to have no defects, to be worthy of all praise. But then everything changes with possession. Once the desire disappears, whether it considers itself satisfied or time passes and weakens it, we no longer look at the other in the same way. Some people admit they are stunned by this. Each one discovers the true nature of the other. That is why there are so many broken marriages, quarrels, lawsuits, and so much hatred. Now, that's a pretty strong statement wow. from him, you know. Yeah, really. And it, when I read it first a couple of years ago, um, I remember, you know, as a youth, 
the rationalizations that would go on when I wanted to get laid, you know, <laughs> and uh, which was all the time, and um, usually unsuccessfully. But you know, one would, you know, and you felt sincere about it. You say, you know, we 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 think alike. <laughs> we talk alike. We 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 like the same kind of music. We we both like you know stewed cabbage. We're just completely. You're we're made for each other. It's I know that we're we're just soulmates. It was it was destined. <laughs> what you about know, the spiritual I, stuff too? Throw that right, in there. Right, right, right. We both love you know. We're on the Yogananda, path. and and we both meditate and we do yoga and woo 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 and. I, you know, let's not be ridiculous. Sometimes that is true and, and, and works out beautifully, and there's no question about that. But one has to be circumspect of one's own projections, as His Holiness says, that you want to possess that person. You want to fuck that person. So you make up this incredibly Baroque infrastructure of togetherness, and then you do it nine times, 12 times, and then sometimes it's sort of like, okay, I got that. I need a new model now. <laughs> <laughs> and we've all been there. And it's 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 not to say that one shouldn't, you know, have the joy of of um, coming together. That that's not what we're saying here. We're just saying that, um, and Rilke's saying, and His Holiness is saying, is probably more important that you know, love is service. Love is sacrifice. It's a lot of hard things too. And the reason he says a lot of marriages break down and, and relationships and friendships too is because there was something corrupted at the beginning and it turns love to hate, cliche, right? But, you know, if we were wise enough at the very beginning of these episodes to say, no, I, I lust after you, but I don't know you and I'd still like to get laid, but I'm actually going to think, and women are better at this than men. I'm convinced of it. Because so many women will look at you and go, go away. And it's not because they don't like you, but they don't want to satisfy your possessive lust immediately or ever. If they don't feel that there's something deeper going on here that will serve them well in their life. And um, I know women are better at this than men. I just know it. So um, the Rilke statement is that you have to work on this. And how do you work on it? Well, it's another aspect of mindfulness. And, and of a kind of prescience, you know, that um, is this love? I mean, every, you know, there's 10 trillion songs about this, most of them country songs. And, you know, it's about, you know, I thought I loved her, but now she's with my best friend and I'm in the bar drinking a lot of bourbon and getting drunk and I'm just going to go out and fall on the ground. <laughs> I know that's not a good impersonation, no. but... You know what I'm talking about. I mean, it's it's just, uh, it's a major part of it. But you know what he's saying here? He's saying it's high inducement for the individual to ripen. I mean, going back to what I was talking about before, to become something in himself, uh, to have that something in, his, in himself, which I'm calling a, a spaciousness where you're not immediately just defaulting to that lust head that you were just talking about and you just want to possess you're not you become there's enough spaciousness so you're not defaulting there and then that enables you to become something for another's sake he says uh, and so that's 
go ahead. We go back to this in so many different ways, Dave. I mean, mm-hmm. we're talking about uh, when we talk about social action, if we don't get our hearts in order, how can we change anybody else's heart? How can we do take any action unless we are changing our own hearts? How can we, and this is what, to me, this is what Rilke's saying, how can we l- r- truly love unless we first straighten our hearts out? And until we get a certain kind of spaciousness that enables us not to fall into these uh, crazy defaults, which is just human nature, and we went through it. Everybody goes through it. We're still going through it. And uh, and and it, now we go to what you just mentioned, which is all you need is a little mindfulness. Just get out onto that path uh, of mindfulness and awareness and the witness uh, anybody's th- those are the the three key things to get going if you have any interest to get uh, oneself straight for all of us that's mm. what it takes i mean we have to start right there um yeah you know i saw this film i recommended to you about glenn campbell oh yeah who, who was another great my, recommendation yeah, i haven't seen it yet i think it's called i'm still me and it's about his uh his alzheimer's and 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 how his family came around uh, at a certain point a few years ago and and got him on the road. Did he, he did 150 concerts and they were magnificent. Could still play the guitar like anybody and he was fabulous. But he didn't know where he was. But what, the main point of the film is not that he could still play, you know, Wichita Lyman or something. It was about his wife and his children, two sons and a daughter, all of whom were just spectacularly in service of this. And helped him every minute of every day, their dear father, not because he was famous, not because he was talented, he was just their dad. And his wife, who was I think his third wife, uh, it's just worth seeing the film just to see her, just to hear what she says, her honesty. It's not all nice, you know. I mean, it's difficult to deal with this beyond words. We all know that. And um, in the film, you see uh, his wife's dedication to him through thick and thin. And not only that, but his two, you know, incredibly punk-looking sons who look about as much like Glenn Campbell as I do. I mean, they're just, you know, young dudes playing rock and roll music. But they, they came around him. And his daughter, who is a wonderful banjo player, guitar picker, constantly helping him get through this to the end. And I was just moved beyond words. Because the film, not many films are like this. It, you, it, there was no filter. You were right there with them. And somebody could say, well, that's, you know, exploiting, exploiting someone who's very sick. No, this is a film. Bono's in it. Bruce Springsteen's in it. Bill Clinton's in it. Uh, uh, you know, um, all kinds of, of fabulous people who talk about the need for us to take notice of this because it's a really bad problem. People are living much longer. And therefore, dementia is something that can happen. And if you have a, a parent or a grandparent who had it, it's also your problem too because you don't know if you're going to suffer. So the sense of familial service is the closest thing on film I've seen to true love. It's just there. It's hard. It's so hard to be with someone who doesn't know who you are half the time. It's, it's, just, it's just bloody awful. Mm-hmm. But in this film, you will be moved because even if you've never heard of Glenn Campbell or don't like country music or don't, it doesn't matter. What you're seeing is are, are three, four people mm. in service to this man with the deepest sincerity. Mm. And it's a very honest film. It's not sentimental. It's not. It just shows this great love, this great love mm. for another being. Mm. 
it, it, it moved me to tears and I, I'm so glad that it was made. It was made by uh, James Keach, who's a terrific documentarian and I highly recommend it. It's about this. It's about right. this greater love. Mm. You know? Fabulous. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Good stuff. Um, I'm going to uh, switch gears here a little bit and move to something that I've uh, read that uh, I thought I'd share with you and everybody else out there. Um, and it's from uh, the latest uh, edition of Tricycle Magazine, which is a Buddhist review. And uh, we're, they're our buddies, they're our friends, these guys, and they have a terrific website. And they offer all sorts of uh, uh, online courses and so on. And our, our close friend Sharon Salzberg is involved with them as well. Um, so this issue features uh, jealousy and envy. At least uh, a discussion of jealousy and envy and how uh, endemic these emotions are in our lives. And I thought we'd just chat about it for a minute. Of course, I know you've never had, you've never been jealous. Dave's never been jealous. So. <laughs> or envious. So he'll be the, the, uh, I, I have a slight argument. For us. Huh? I'm jealous and envious all the time. Like <laughs> <Slight> different. <laughs> okay. Jealousy, fear of losing someone we value. And it's at least marginally justifiable and therefore socially acceptable. I mean, jealousy is, c can you believe? It's socially acceptable. Mm. It's nuts. Uh, envy, discontent or anger that someone else has something we want but don't possess, be it beauty, talent, a coveted job, or just dumb luck. It's neither justifiable nor condoned, right? Um, so the interesting thing here um, is that... Uh, they say that, at least with jealousy, it can be fun. How it can be fun, uh, it's just an emotion that uh, you, you can really dig into. And, okay, you're, you're I mean, I had a, a, an insane uh, triangle when I was really young. And, um, and I remember, it's the only, it's the one time I've been like horrifically jealous. Okay. <laughs> I was, it was, it was my best friend and my girlfriend and, and it became a, a whole menage kind of thing. And I was awfully, awfully in bad shape <laughs> whenever he went off with her. Okay. It was, I mean, I could, so you could say with such a powerful emotion, uh, Fun wouldn't be the right word, but certainly it was uh, dramatic, you know, and how things get dramatic, you can really get into them, and you you become attached to that. So it's insane. Uh, but um, they somebody, this uh, German social psychologist who studied envy, said that among the seven deadly sins, it occupies a unique position. It's the only sin that's never fun. <laughs> it's not fun. No matter what, even schadenfreude, wicked pleasure in someone else's mis misfortunes, is usually short-lived. Soon enough, the bitter taste of hatred rises in your throat, and shame and guilt flood your system. But envy is the curse of the insecure. Okay, it's really, I mean, envy, this is bad. Bad, bad, bad. Um, so uh, this, this is actually written by uh, 
somebody, uh, an old friend, actually. I have not seen her in many years. We haven't talked in many years. Joan Duncan Oliver, who writes fabulous articles and books uh, around uh, spirituality. And we're um, jealous of her, by the way. We envy her. I don't know, but uh, she talks about. Uh, remember right. how, like Sharon, even talks about how when yeah. when her book came out and somebody else uh, uh, had a book and and Sharon, my book just hit the top ten New York Times bestseller, and she, oh god, and mine, you know. So even at the mm-hmm. level of someone like Sharon, this stuff happens. Um, so they t- talk about the anecdotes and the big anecdote antidote. The Buddhists would 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 uh, tell you about is the opportunity to practice the Brahma Viharas, in particular, mudita, feeling mm. joy for the for- good fortune of others. Okay, mm. are you pra- Do you know that Tom Brady, right, won the Super Bowl? Who's done all this crazy ass shit, inf- def- deflating balls or God knows what? If whatever happened, he's just probably what one of the greatest quarterbacks ever to play football. He'll probably yeah. go down as. I mean, yes. yeah. yeah. So he in his they opened up his locker room, and he has. Do you know that he had a whole thing about mudita in his locker room? He had a Ganesh, and he had a Ganesh. Yeah, yeah. no, but something about mudita, or he was quoted quoting what mudita is. Tom Brady married to Giselle Bunchy, Bunchin, mm-hmm. whatever. Yes, you know, talk about talk about uh, jealous. We want to be jealous of anybody. It would be Tom, right? <laughs> uh, so, uh, so right. this is the yeah the basic premise. And then um, let me just see if there's uh, there's there was something else uh, from Jones' uh, article that I thought was cool, um, which in terms of anecdotes, I think another thing. Uh, which uh, we love to talk about is the Dzogchen practice, which uh, Lama Suridas on MindPod Network is so very uh, much uh, familiar with. Um, so we look with non-conceptual awareness at the, at the sense of self that is experiencing lack. So this is a way to look at envy, no. which is that insecurity. And when our looking is steady enough, the thoughts and sensations that generate the sense of lack cease because they are not being fed. Remaining present in this sense of openness, of nakedness, without the clothing of a familiar sense of self, we can experience the natural warmth of presence, of simply being. This warmth easily gives rise to taking joy in the success of others, the antidote to envy, mudita. This joy naturally emerges when what has previously occupied the space of our being, the drama of envy, as well as the driver of that drama, the self's imagined lack, releases its spell, and we experience a sense of being rich in positive qualities that naturally radiates out to others. And that goes back to this thing with Rilke, around love. Mm around developing our own our own love our own spaciousness our own sense of being a presence and that naturally will radiate out to others in in uh, in the form of being happy about others having success i think this is a huge thing this envy thing the jealousy thing it's pretty straight cut and forward i mean people i think that are, that are i think envy is way harder to deal with 
Right. Okay, it's insidious. But I think jealousy, yeah, you're jealous of somebody. You walk around being jealous of somebody got a better job than me. It's pretty transparent, I would say. So, um, yeah. uh, so I mean, you, you, but yeah, the, the component that you're, you're you're kind of implying is that you must cultivate spaciousness and love in order to combat this. It's not just gonna. It's not quite mindfulness. It's not like, oh, I see I'm being envious. I won't be. That's not going to work. It's more like I'm going to continue to practice uh, making my space your space and, and you know, sort of en enclosing the understanding of oneness. And that doesn't come just by fiat. Um, it comes through practice, I think, because, you know, I used to get pretty jealous. I, you know, I was in the film business for years and made documentaries and stuff, and sometimes... Uh, someone would make a film about something I wanted to make a film about. <laughs> you know, I don't, I, I, you know, there are, Keith Richards comes to mind when I was, for one minute, about 90 seconds considered to do some film about Keith. And uh, I was told that uh, Johnny Depp wanted to do it. No. And therefore, you, you flee, leave the office <laughs> because you ain't nothing. And I just had this thing in my heart of like, fuck this, Johnny Depp, doesn't he have enough? Pirates up the kazoo and then 10 Pirates. great movies and whatever he wants and he's great. And what does he want to do this for? I want to do this. Go away. <laughs> but, you know, it was a mixture of jealousy and envy, actually. Mm. I, I, because I, I really was jealous that they were considering him. And I don't think he actually ended up doing it. I think that someone else did that film. But he helped. And, um, you know, I was jealous. And this isn't that long ago. And I was envious of this, you know, this superstar who could sort of just walk into the room. And he does a very good impersonation of Keith Richards in those Pirates film, if you remember, films. Um, so I experienced it relatively recently. Now, the ability to cultivate the, you know, the mechanism, whatever it is, that can just override this is, is not an instantaneous thing. It's not, okay, I will not be jealous. I will not be envious. It'll just come back. It'll curl back. It'll curl back. So again, you know, it's like, um, practice. I guess it's boring to keep saying this, but yeah. if you don't practice this spaciousness that you, that you spoke about, Raghu, it's very hard to combat these ill feelings. You know, it's very difficult. And um, we were, I had a conversation yesterday about uh, another person who believed that revenge was natural and that forgiveness was unnatural. It was a real dialectic. And we were trying to express the fact that revenge is useless and destructive and doesn't do anybody any good. Mm. But the, the person was not impressed and said, no, that's just shit. I mean, if somebody does me something wrong that's real bad, I want to get back. And again, you couldn't just say, well, don't feel that way. That's terrible because that doesn't work. It, it, it's got to be a cultivation in there somewhere. And um, But you're right, Raga. This is a major issue, actually. Because the world is such now that we know what everybody's doing, mm. you know. I mean, you just have a look at Facebook and see those people who declare what they're doing all the time, which annoys the shit out of me. Uh, you know, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. Not because I'm envious, because I'm bored, actually. Uh, I want to see something that's more universal being written. But, you know, you sh I, I know people who are happy for other people. <laughs> you know, I at least know people who are like that. Who is that person? Well, you know, I'm not going to name names, but, you know, I do know a few people. I, You know, but I think the it's like everything else, you know, that these things just come up in our emotional body. 
and it's Heaven insane that they just they keep popping up. And by the way, yeah. you're saying exactly the truth. This is you can work at this stuff. This is not going to just go away for anybody. These two things are particularly difficult because they happen on a consistent basis of 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 uh, always looking to the other person that seems to be doing better than you are in some yep. way, shape, or form. And uh, I'm going to uh, be honest about another thing that happened to me recently in the last, I don't know, five years. Um, I was in India, and I was with Krishnadas, okay? I think everybody out there, or many of you know who Krishnadas is. If you don't know, I've said this a long time ago, write to me at info at ramdas.org or right through the MindPod network um, and I'll send you a song. I give away Krishnadas songs. It's one of the things I do. Um, Good. But uh, so we've been close for a long time and we were together in India with, with Neem Karoli Baba, with Maharaji and uh, we go there to see uh, a saint that has, uh, when Maharaji left, she's been taking care of us uh, all these years and taking care of his temples and uh I went in and we went to sit with her, have darshan, and there was a, few, a number of people in the room. And again, Dave, I have been doing this work, right, for a long time, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. We're sitting in this room. He comes in. He's sitting on one side. I'm sitting on the other. She's going on gabbing with him at length, Not didn't even say hello to me, <laughs> okay? No indication that I was even in the room. And he's talking to her, even speaks some Hindi, so it, was, it makes it worse because my Hindi's like, I can't really have a conversation with her. I can understand, but I can't talk. And he's going on, and I'm starting to stew. I'm sitting there, and I'm mm. going, oh, God mm. damn. What the hell? This fucking guy gets all the attention. I'm like, nothing. <laughs> and I'm having this. And, and then I, the next thought I had was, it's usually the thing that happens with us, right? We react to whatever emotion that we are having, which makes it even worse. And mm. my reaction was, holy shit, I'm jealous. At this point in the game, I'm in my 60s. I'm, I'm an old fart, and I've been doing this forever, and this is still happening to me? How could this be? And I, as soon as I had that thought, she turned around, and she pointed her finger at me. <laughs> Just as soon as I had that thought, okay. And then I went, okay, all right, calm down. <laughs> but these, she knew. She knew. Yeah, she knew. But uh, these things, uh, uh, they do not get cured in one instance. And to, and to do the Dzogchen practice of presence or any practice at all to get what I call that spaciousness inside so that we're not just absolutely knee-jerk reacting to everything and copying to our lust or copying to our anger, whatever, all of the disturbing emotions um, and powerful emotions like lust. Um, it takes time, and eventually there is enough of... Uh, you just stop feeling like you're poisoning yourself, especially with envy and jealousy. And uh, I want to I share with you a story. Um, it's kind of fun. Uh, it's from Shozan Jack Hobner, also from this uh, tricycle uh, issue around uh, w w jealousy and, and envy. So he, uh, he was a young, uh, well, fairly young, um, Zen 
uh, student, uh, teacher, actually. And his teacher died, and then so they had the, God, what are we going to do now? It was, a, you know, a big uh, uh, to-do. And he said, I never wanted to make a career out of Zen. I simply wanted to find a way to live. Uh, making a living at being wise seems to come so naturally to some people, <laughs> right? Yes. Uh, they write a few books and smile from a few lifestyle magazines. Suddenly they're filling auditoriums. Oh, God. Um, bastards, I belong to a different class. <laughs> Not a spiritual superstar, but a freshman practitioner. Not a freshman practitioner either. Not enlightened, but I can help a rookie upgrader practice. Oh. Anyhow, so he... The, the he gets into a situation where uh, a Japanese woman about 50 years of age approached him and went down on her knees and said, bowing, Shozan, thank you, thank you. And, you know, just really uh, exalting him as a teacher. And he, mm -hmm. uh, uh, he said, okay, thank you, thank you. It's okay. And there was, and they looked around, there was tears in people's eyes. Everyone looked so in love with their idea of me just then. Mm -hmm. And who was I to argue? Much of your job as a new Zen priest involves pretending that you actually are the kind of person that people keep mistaking you for. You are constantly yeah. walking the thin line between uh, growing, uh, growing into your new role and faking the part. This guy's really honest. This is fabulous, and we've mm. got to get try and get him on on the air. Um, uh, that being said, whatever you do, you don't try to hide your weakness. This is a spiritual equivalent of the guy who combs the love this, combs the hair down by his ears, up over the shiny bald spot on the top of his head. The comb over, right? Yes. No one's fooled. The only thing worse than trying to look younger than you are is trying to look wiser than you are. <laughs> Envy is born from insecurity. We often think that insecurity comes from a weak ego, but in my experience, it's the result of an inflexible ego that has mistaken itself as the center of the universe, which keeps contradicting it on this key point. Mm. That gets right to the heart of it, does it not? Yeah. Um, and let me just uh, find this other thing he said, which is, he, he had this really uh, wild experience uh, uh, the worst person to be embarrassed in front of is yourself. Because out of everyone you know, you're probably the least willing to forget any of the stupid things that you do, hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Humility, however, brings clarity. Sometimes you're just too busy thinking about yourself to really see yourself clearly. That's when life puts a banana peel in your path. So what happened to him is he was peeing into a bucket at night <laughs> uh -oh. because uh -oh. he, the bathroom was too far down the hall and he's got a weak prostate. Uh, and uh, so uh -oh. he was doing it. And one night he got up and he was a little bit groggy and he kicked the bucket over and it went flying against his shows on screen or whatever, shoji screen or whatever the hell it was. It went all over the place. Everybody then woke up and everybody knew about it. That morning, I clearly saw just how heavy I had grown with the burden of trying to be, to be someone who I am not. Mm. Uh, we all must wholeheartedly, moment after moment, to the life we have instead of fantasizing about a different life while putting down or envying those who are supposedly living it. When I start feeling jealous of others, it's a warning sign that I've become a little bit too entranced by some idea of myself and have lost touch with the reality of my 
life. When you're mm. fully present in your life, the teachings have a way of finding you. And when you're not, a bucket of piss becomes the Buddha and wakes you up. <laughs> That's so sure. great. I love that. Wow. That's amazing. Uh, he's, uh, we have to get Jack on the air. So uh, go uh, take a look at this uh, tricycle issue, everybody, on, on jealousy and envy. Uh, it's got some great stuff in there and uh, something wonderful from Shanti Deva, uh, one of the great uh, sages uh, of the uh, Buddhist canon. So, uh, yeah, how about that? Jealousy that's a, that's, and envy. That's great, huh? yeah. I mean, that kind of honesty, that raw honesty yeah. from a wise person. Uh, who's not full of himself or herself. Yeah, it's it's a, always a treat. It's yeah, always. A young guy, too, in his early 40s. I mean, this Amazing. Is not, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, see, that's the whole thing, honesty mm. and humility. Again, mm. you know, people are talking about uh, Ramdas. I guess we keep bringing him up. It's just, it's a touchstone. He's a touchstone for us. What, what are we going to do? But he wrote a letter recently uh, to the constituency at ramdas.org. Um, and in it, he just described this pretty big bout of suffering that he went through as a result of being in a hospital for a couple of weeks with a wound, an accident that happened. And, uh, you know, he had a lot, you know, he got MRSA. I mean, it was just terrible. You know, infection, hospital infection. It was awful, awful. And he had to deal with a lot of stuff. So he wrote about it because people were kind of wondering what they had heard about it through the net or whatever. And they were wondering, what, what, is he okay? You know, they were asking so he wrote this terrific, full of humility, honest note about dealing with that suffering at this stage in his life. And talk about someone who's done a lot of work. Okay, he has done a lot of work on himself. And he wrote this note. And the outflowing, uh, I have never seen anything. We got uh, literally hundreds of responses of people huh. writing to him and thanking him for for huh. being either this was a timely thing for them to hear. Uh, I'll put it up, uh, actually. I don't think we've made it public. I, I will put this letter up, and uh, you guys, maybe we'll, we'll put it up on MindPod, too. We'll put uh, Ramdas's letter up there so you can see it. It's just uh, honest, mm. just so honest, and yet uh, he, he gives, and he gives within that honesty a way for people to to deal with suffering. And then the way, the ways that he has dealt, that he dealt with it in this particular case, which was no different than what he was talking about when you and I heard him in the late 60s, early 70s. Right. And it's that honesty and humility, like this uh, Jack Hobner uh, that we just read uh, from, that is so key to if to help any to be anything yourself, to be able to help anybody. You don't have to be a spiritual teacher. But just to get some honesty about where you're at and, and able to share that without fear cuts through envy, it cuts through jealousy, it cuts through all sorts of different uh, destructive emotions. And um, humility that, bec that comes as a result of it. Look at he's admitting in this article, you know, stuff that is mm -hmm. it's pretty personal and uh and it was geez you know it's funny on one level but it wasn't so funny when it happened to him right so mm -hmm. honesty and humility is the uh, antidote uh to uh, jealousy and uh, envy and and certainly the realizing how we are all insecure and we're human so it's okay to be insecure and we just don't have to follow uh that uh 
line of thought and react to it in every which way, as you were saying before, and Rilke's uh, talk about love. Not much to say after that. That's mm. a good, good way to end this uh, discourse. Yeah, discourse. And this, I, oh, as the word on. came out of my mouth, I oh, didn't like God. it. But, you know, colloquy. I like that colloquy. Word. I'll I'll buy colloquy. that. I'll buy a colloquy over a discourse any day. <laughs> right. Well, it's been great. And yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, what do we have any announcements to make? I don't know. I mean, um, we've talked about uh, support for uh, MindPodNetwork.com. Oh, by the way, uh, we have a new uh, addition to MindPod Network. By the way, Dave, mm-hmm. uh, yes. and it's our erstwhile partner in MindPod. MindPod Network, Noah Lampert, and he's got a, a great first podcast that's up there, folks. Go to MindPodNetwork.com and look for Noah, and it's an interview with Zach Leary, Tim's son, Tim Leary's son. Yeah. It's an excellent uh, it's really good, uh, uh, yeah. interview and uh, sharing with uh, Noah and Zach, and uh, Zach is someone who's uh, close to us as well, and especially David, who's known him for a lot of years through Tim, and so that's up there now, and uh, uh, look for some great stuff. David did this fantastic uh, thing with Danny Goldberg, podcast with Danny Goldberg. It's going to come out in a a week or two uh, that uh, is around Zalman uh, Schachter, a book that uh, both your good friend... Yes, Sarah Davidson. Sarah Davidson. Joined us live, actually, not even Skype, in a recording studio yesterday, a couple of days ago. And it, it's a marvelous book, and, and she's a superb writer, and we will recommend her book next time. Yeah, and by the way, everyone's been asking about us doing something around animals, and we're going to do it because David yeah. found a fantastic person with a fantastic book. Yeah, she's called Linda Bender, and she wrote a book called Animal Wisdom. Uh, which is, uh, I mean, the recommendations are from Jane Goodall and um, uh, Deepak Chopra and Rupert Sheldrake and and my friend Henrietta and other people. She's just a lovely, incredibly intelligent analyzer and protector of animals. And uh, we, we've been asked to do this a lot because most of us have, are, are love animals and have pets. But even if we don't have pets, we, we know the, the crisis is upon us uh, with many, you know, not just with white rhinos, but with every animal, and but this book is about our connection with them, mm. and uh, we're very thrilled to have her, and that'll I be... I can't we'll be wait. I cannot Sometime wait. after, in the middle of November, we're going to do that. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right, well, everybody, go to mindpodnetwork.com, go to Mind Rolling, catch what we're doing, Dave and I, and uh, we will see you next time. Bye-bye, Dave. Bye-bye.